For professional advice with a personal touch, consult F.L. Fuller Landau, chartered professional accountants and business advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. Good evening. Welcome to today's entrepreneurial program about the entrepreneurial spirit that drives Quebec business. My name is Dan Delmar, along with FL's Josh Miller. Good evening, Josh. Hello, Dan. And this evening on the program, we'll be chatting with Bruce Conquay of Line X Quebec. Yeah, Bruce. Uh, Bruce Conkey is. Uh, he's, you know, we're going to hear the story of both franchisor and franchisee, uh, and that's uh, that's. It's interesting when you're when you're on both sides. So Bruce is coming up in a little bit. We'll also talk about doing business in the U.S. a little later on the program with our tax expert, Ernie Furt. Uh, but first, some entre uh, entrepreneurial news and notes of the week. Um, let's start by just chatting about the C2 conference. Um, I was at, Which I was you there. attended, Dan. I did. I attended it. Uh, took in many lectures, as many as I could uh, last week. And a pretty interesting event. And I wrote about this last week, and I'm going to be touching on it in my Gazette column again on Wednesday. Um, but I think it's interesting that Montreal is becoming this creative hub where people come to inspire to conceive, to make deals. This happens at Just for Laughs, too. There's a big industry conference. People, There, there have been TV shows that I've seen made uh, coming out of ideas at Just for Laughs. Uh, so, so people, I think, flock to Montreal to be inspired and to be uh, to work with our creative class, and then they go do business elsewhere. And so the challenge, I think, and, and I'll pose this to you, Josh, is how do we keep them here? How do we sort of keep a few multinationals here and there, uh, let them encourage them to hopefully do more business here so we can maybe slowly regain our international status? So it's not about having a Montreal birthday every year. Yeah, <laughs> three seventy six, three seventy seven. We'll just we'll just keep bringing. Hopefully it won't on. be that costly. Uh, I, I think I think Montreal is is an easy city to visit. I think comparatively to some other large cities, it's not as expensive. Uh, there's no question you have your expensive moments, and I'm sure hotel rates can go up. But comparatively speaking, you want to compare it to a Toronto, a New York, and LA, a Chicago. It's it's relatively inexpensive, especially where the Canadian dollar sits versus the U.S. How do you keep them here? I do think that Montreal is building up. Montreal has. Uh, has become known for the gaming side. There's no question that AI or the or the tech side of it is is, is growing. Certainly, from a film aspect and editing, uh, Montreal ha has has certainly been around quite a number of years. Although I've heard both sides of we got some great talented here, but we have some opinionated talent that that are a little bit stubborn. So sometimes it it clashes. How do you keep them here? I, I think it, I think it's a slow effect. You know we're. I've I read that somebody's trying to compare Montreal uh, to the early. Uh, days of, of Silicon Valley so with, with our AI, with artificial intelligence building up. I don't know if we're quite there yet, but has to start somewhere. And I think it's not a bad start for Montreal. But how you keep them here is having enough companies and enough investment opportunity and knowledge to do that. And I think it's not a bad start for Montreal. Great turnout at C2. I wasn't there, Dan, but I, I saw many pictures and, and certainly some Facebook Live events and, and heard from a few people. Scads of people, so it's certainly well attended. Stay afterwards, I think. I think we can get some decent traction, but it will take definitely take time. So, if you're advising the premier, you know, where where do you target your investments? Where do you say, you know, we have to build here in order to attract these businesses? Is it infrastructure that's a lot of the problem? I heard a lot of that at the conference as well. People were looking at, you know, things being the orange cones and everything, and not being particularly inspired by by that. The easy answer is yes. It's always infrastructure. It's been infrastructure since since the day I, I remember being born in Montreal. It really, you know, it's always that old joke. There's two seasons. There's there's winter and there's construction. So it, that I don't. I mean, yes, easy to say. Difficult to do unless there have been some major changes. I think it's more than that. I think it's, I think it's really 
either either government programs that can help entrepreneurs reach out more to the people around the world. Uh, I think it's I think it's it's more about putting money in the right sectors. Uh, you know, you can't infrastructure aside because you're always going to have that. And and you look at major cities around the world. There's traffic. There's congestion. As a matter of fact, traffic there's traffic's bad in Montreal, but it's pretty bad in a lot of other locations, even if there aren't orange cones. Putting money in specific sectors where where C2 is. You saw a bunch of lectures. It was probably a lot around the tech side. Yep. No question about it. So I think putting money in those areas will help entrepreneurs kind of reach out and say, okay, if you're looking to go out and invest or market yourselves, well, maybe here's some marketing dollars. Here's some dollars to, to search for financing. Here's something that will expand that side of it. Let's uh, move on to other technological news. Uh, the restaurant industry, according to uh, to this piece, um, is kind of, uh, I guess, uh, experiencing its own tech revolution. This is from the Financial Post. Well, this is, you know, the reservation software out there is continuous. You know, Open Table, it certainly started with that. Then it was reaching out. You had you have Bookenda now, which is kind of mixed with YP Dine, you know, a little bit of, uh, of that. And I and it's it's there. However, the restaurants that are using this, that are all, you know, it's great. It's it's tough to still manage. You still have to manage your tables. You still have to manage uh, the, the people behind it and dealing with the time frame and all that. And I think there is still much to do or much to see about that reservation technology. Uh, but it's it, it's coming. That being said, I use Open Table all the time. I use Bookend all the time. It's really simple. It's really easy. And you just have to know if there's no tables available, call the restaurant because they usually keep some in reserve that aren't all online. Uh, this also from the Financial Post, the Airbnb of warehouses. It's called Flex, and it's growing pretty rapidly in the States. It's pretty interesting. There's so many people are always looking to save a buck. There's no no doubt about it. Entrepreneurs that want to ship everywhere that need to or that have excess inventory for only a small part of the year, it costs a lot of money to warehouse. And certainly, depending where you warehouse it and where you ship it, there's no doubt that it can cost you that much more for transportation. And air air travel and air cargo is very expensive. Ground travel, ground transport, much cheaper. So Flex built on this. And they basically went to different warehouses around, around North America. This is really mostly in the United States. And said, do you have any excess capacity? Can you hold goods for other people? So it started with that, with just simply that. And people would connect in different cities. Yes, please hold my goods and they'll have it in a separate spot. And then about a year ago, they started a pick and pack. So it's 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 evolving to that, to that Airbnb framework where, yes, if I have 20 pallets that I just don't have room in my in my own warehouse, where can I store them? Of course, location is important, and I believe they have over 500 locations and warehouses that are within their framework today, which is pretty good, maybe even 550 or 600. And I think from a business standpoint, from a cost saving, not only in a warehouse cost, but in transportation cost, because if you can get it closer to your end customer, then ground transport is far cheaper than air. I think it's a, I think it's still nascent. It's still early. But what an interesting concept. Uber Freight was also announced last week. That's another uh, uh, use of artificial intelligence that will probably reduce uh, significant costs in, in the transport business. You're, you're just increasing the competition. And when there's lots of competition, the price falls. The thing that you have to be aware of is where's the service factor? Where is the credibility behind the delivery people? Are they going to get your goods to the location at the right time and in the right state? 
Finally, another uh, form of technological disruption, this in the travel industry. A startup wants to transform travelers into their own uh, travel agents. We see it all the time. You look at you look at uh, um, TripAdvisor. You you look at all these different blogs. People that, that people put up blogs, and other people that you either that you don't know really listen to it. When I go on a trip, I look at TripAdvisor to see you know where you know what hotels are good, what restaurants are good, what certain sites in a certain area. This is this is somebody building on other people and letting them get money to share their experiences. If you can share your experience, if you've been, if you travel a lot or you've heard of certain places, you can create your own website super easy, list some of these places online, blog about it, and make money doing it. And for the people that blog without making money, here's your chance to do it and get a few bucks out of it. Do you have to be trained? I don't know about that, but you certainly can travel and share your experience. Sounds like a great idea. Uh, coming up next, we'll talk to Bruce Conkey of LineX Quebec, an example of uh, entrepreneurial success in a very niche field. We'll talk to Bruce in a little bit and talk about taxes and doing business with the U.S. Uh, later in the program with our tax specialist, Ernie Furt. <laughs> For professional advice with a personal touch, consult F.L. Fuller Landau, chartered professional accountants and business advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. Welcome back to today's Entrepreneur, inspiring stories from outstanding business people, Dan Delmar and F.L.'s Josh Miller with you. And this evening, we'll welcome Bruce Conkey of LineX Quebec. Welcome to the program, Bruce. Thank you. Um, first, uh, real simple, tell us about uh, your business, LineX. Well, Linex is a spray-on protective coating. Um, we can apply it, and the, the majority of what we, do, what we usually do is pickup trucks, but we can spray it on anything from wood, concrete, fiberglass, metals. You know, with the proper preparation, we can spray just about anything at all. It'll protect it against abrasion, corrosion, uh, in some cases, even explosions. Explosions, really? Because the product is that strong. It, we have some, we have about 12 different products, so they go from anything. We do have a product that was actually made specifically to protect against explosions. Uh, we actually sprayed it on the Pentagon, Federal Building in New York, most of the APOs in the U.S. Uh, so, yeah, and a whole bunch wow. of different places. Just here in Montreal, I think we have two consulates and an embassy. So, or three consulates, or three embassies and a consulate, something like that. Something like that. We don't need to know which ones. We're no, not going to test it. It's okay. Anyway. <laughs> so where, where did this start? Where did this all begin for you? It For me or for the company? For you at the moment. It all started here. I mean, we started off, uh, we were doing uh, detailing, car detailing. And one of our clients, we had a contract to do all their cars. And one of our clients said, you should look at this product. And I said, well, okay. So I looked into it for about 10 months, actually. And see, you know, there's at that time there's about three items, three different products that were out there, and I went to visit each one. One was in Texas, one was in California, and one was in Canada. And I went to visit every one, and ended up picking Linex. And for me, it was the best product out there. It was also the most expensive, but it was the best. Now, how long ago? How long ago was that? That was 16 years ago. What were you doing before Linex came along? Like, <laughs> I, did you did you have training in this in this business at all? Absolutely zero. I come from a computer background. We used to do software, but absolutely nothing had to do with this. And that's the beauty of this business is that you don't really have to know the product because we can train you, um, but you have to know business just like anything else. Any successful business, you you need to know about business. No question. Now what? You, you have this product, you, you did your due diligence at the beginning. What were you looking for specifically? Was it all about the product? Because you, 
you became a franchisee at first? At first, we well, when we originally went, it was just to buy a franchise. Um, what I was looking for was two things. The product, because you can't sell a product that just isn't worthy. If you don't believe in it, you can't sell it. The second thing was who I was doing business with. If I did fight for me personally, if I don't feel like I can work with this person, I don't want to work with them. It's just going to give me more aggravation later on in life. And after meeting the three people, the one person that I really could deal with is who we went with. And it's been fantastic since then. Does it take you long to, to, to read people? I know that, you know, we, we speak with a lot of entrepreneurs and there's no question there's a lot of, a lot of business partners out there and sometimes you can get fooled and, and whatever. So did you, did it take you a while to, to really get the feel of these people? And, and over the years, have you learned how to read people a little bit better? Initially, no, the people that we originally met when we got the franchise, they were phenomenal. They were just, they were from day one to the last day when they sold their business, phenomenal. They absolutely were. And have I been able to change? Yes. When I was originally, when I thought I could read people when we started selling franchises, originally and what they are now are light years difference. You learn by your experience. I mean, it's not something, reading people is one thing, but people are chameleons and they can change very quickly. No question about it. And you did you did go from franchisee or buying one franchise to ultimately being a franchisor within Quebec. And when we come back from the break, we'll talk about that and lots more. We're chatting with Bruce Conkey of Linex Quebec on today's Entrepreneur. For professional advice with a personal touch, consult F.L. Fuller Landau, chartered professional accountants and business advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. Chatting with Bruce Conkey of Linex Quebec. Um, this is a spray. Bruce, maybe you can explain the product a little bit more. So you spray it on you know, a truck bed, uh, the side of a wall perhaps, and it protects against uh, fire. Can you explain? What well, the, it all depends. Things? Like I said, there we have about 12 different chemicals. So the one we use the most and the one we, we apply on the majority of the basis is on the back of a pickup truck. Um, so we'll actually prepare the surface, mask off the truck. So we just want the area what we're going to spray because the thing does come out at 2,500 pounds of pressure. So it flies everywhere. And it's also about 230 degrees Fahrenheit. So it's really hot and it literally dries in three seconds. So it's literally in and out and, you know. It's a it's quick application and a, and a very sturdy product. So let's come back to the franchisor franchisee. When you first went to go find this product, you were looking to just be a franchisee at that point? Correct. Where did you cross over into saying, hey, maybe I can do a little bit more with that? Well, we were sitting down. I, was, I actually spent about three days with these people, and they sat down, and we said, okay, we made a deal to become a franchise, and then they, we were just with sitting it, With down. a certain territory, I guess. Correct. Gather. Well, the island of Montreal, basically. And uh, then they said, well, look, we aren't doing anything. We, we're, we're English people. We don't speak French. We don't have anything happening in Quebec. So they literally asked me if I wanted to take over the province. And of course, it always comes down to dollars and cents. And we came down to uh, an amount that everybody was comfortable with and then took it over from there. We actually worked three years to learn the business before selling a single first franchise. franchise. Yeah. How was the first franchise experience? Was it tough to find that person? It wasn't. What it was... Most At that time, when people come to see us because they knew the product, whether it be from the U.S. or something that they heard or through a friend or whatever, they knew of the, of the product. So it wasn't that tough. What was tougher was trying to sell the product because it was never, nobody ever heard of the product here. So, so it was a lot of education. 
Do you still have to educate today? Every day. Every I don't when even when we hire salesmen or when we train our new franchises, we don't tell them don't go out and sell, go out and educate. Because there's a lot of other we'll call them similar products for lack of a better term, but they're not similar. We have a quality product at a very fair price and we have an, probably the, the the best warranty on the market. The franchisor, you, you need you still need to keep a relationship with the franchisor. They still assist you in educating because information, I gotta think, doesn't isn't just you. It's it's really starts at the top because that's where all the chemicals are made and done. So was the franchisor helpful in giving you some of those educational materials? Even now they still do. The beauty about our system is that it doesn't always flow from the top down. It can flow from the bottom up. Whereas every one of our applicators, and we have over 500 applicators in North America, they feed that information to our PR people, and they then disseminate it to all the franchises. So if anybody has ever done something that's unique or different, we all know about it. We create case studies. We have training sessions. It's, it's amazing. And then from there, we just pass it on. And I, I think there's a lot to be learned with from the franchisees. Communication is great, but we're going to talk about when you went from one franchisee to multiple franchisees and some of the some of the lessons and tricks and tips you've learned. Plus what you need to know to do business in the U.S. with our tax expert, Ernie Furt. That is on the way. For professional advice with a personal touch, consult F.L. Fuller Landau, Chartered Professional Accountants and Business Advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. Welcome back to today's Entrepreneur, presented by F.L. Fuller Landau, a program about the entrepreneurial spirit that drives Quebec business. My name is Dan Delmar, along with F.L.'s Josh Miller. And this evening, we're chatting with Bruce Conkey of Linux Quebec. Uh, Bruce makes a, a spray-on product uh, that uh, coats and protects uh, truck beds, boats, and more. Um, Bruce, uh, can you tell us uh, a little bit about sort of maybe some of the funny requests you've had over the years, uh, applications for the product? Well, um, funny. We've had a lot of bizarre ones, but I think the one that sticks out in my mind is we had a skateboard club. And they were having an issue when they fell down off their skateboards and the way things are maintained around here. They have rocks and they land them on their backs. So we basically took their t-shirts and we sprayed the backs of them. And they don't have any more mishaps, but of course, laundry is always a problem. <laughs> Can't necessarily wash it as easily, but hey, at least your back is protected. That's right. Let's come back to uh, franchise or franchisee because I, I find it fascinating and it's and it's great to hear from both sides of it. So as a franchisee, uh, you experience some some great experience, uh, experience some great experience. You had a lot of good results from dealing with the franchisor. They were very helpful in you getting to learn the product. Application is certainly a, a good part of it, education. Now flip the tables to the franchisee. Where did you take from your lessons with the franchisor and apply them to the franchisees? I have to say that in my experiences in this particular industry, we've been very, very fortunate. Uh, the technical support and the sales support that we received from our franchisor has been second to none. And if it wasn't for them, I don't know if we'd be, if I'd be sitting here right now. We offer to we, we try and pass that down as much as we can to our franchises because it's what made us where we are and we want them to be where we are or bigger. That'd be fine by me. I have no problem with that. Now, selection of a franchisee. There's no doubt. Uh, how many franchisees do you have today? Sixteen. Sixteen. From your first franchisee to the sixteenth franchisee, 
did the selection criteria change dramatically? What did you learn from number one to number sixteen? When we, when I first started, I thought the most important thing was the application of the product. And although the application is very important, it can be trained. Knowing business, knowing sales, can be trained, but not as efficiently as anything else. So we've changed from people who are hands-on to more business-oriented people. And we can said they can always hire a, a, an applicator. We can train them. We can, or they can applicate. It's fine. But if you don't know business and you don't know sales, it's just not going to work. Now, at the beginning of the program, you said it was very important for you to be able to work with the people, to really, really, really be able to see eye to eye, to understand. How how much does that form part of the criteria in dealing selecting a franchisee? It's extremely important, and I keep telling people. When you're buying a franchise or you're doing anything like that, it's like a marriage. You're going to be together for a very long time, and you're going to be speaking to each other on a daily basis and working with them. You have to be able to be confident in who you're, that they're going to take your brand and take it to the level in their area, and it's it's extremely important. Now, let's switch gears a little bit and talk a little bit about marketing. Marketing from day one, marketing today, as you get to know the product, marketing you know that has certainly gone from from print to social media, what worked for you then? What works for you now? What never worked for you? Well, we found our product, now that people know about it, it's a whole different, but when nobody knew about it, people had to touch it and feel it. So you couldn't do that with print. You couldn't do that with radio and you couldn't do that with television because they can't touch. Although all those medias were necessary, but we used to do trade shows and that's where we started seeing huge advancements. Uh, the first couple of years, people would walk up to us and go, well, what's this? And we'd go through our whole spiel. But by year four, when we were doing the trade shows, we'd have clients that come over. And people would go, well, what's this? And our clients would answer for us while they were visiting us. So it got to it got to be that. And what's interesting is that we went from five or six people, because everybody would talk about, oh, what's this, what's this? And we'd have to answer them to three people, to two people, because everybody else was answering their questions for us. So it was really interesting testimonials live and in person you really can't beat that what about the type of trade shows did you learn over years that some were better than others because you know we've gotten some mixed responses from different entrepreneurs over the years you would think since we started off our main focal point at when we first started was the car industry so you would think that that would be where everything would come from and ironically it wasn't Uh, we found that doing sub shows such as hunting and fishing shows rv shows those type of shows where people use their pickups and not just looking for one, those are the people that, those are the type of shows that really brought back something for us. That sounds good. And, and today, how much does social media play a role in your in your business and your marketing? <laughs> it's changed dramatically. I mean, social media, if you don't, if you're not on Facebook and you don't do Twitter and you don't do Instagram, and I was late coming on board, to be honest with you, uh, but it's it's huge. It's You can't do it without it. Did you your your background was in computers in your previous lifetime? My previous life. Did, did that help at all? Like you know, transitioning into the social media world, or were you always pretty comfortable with that? Well, no, I was always with technology. Was always second nature to me, so that wasn't an issue. Um, but knowing technology and knowing social media, not the same thing at all. I mean, they've got it's a whole different lingo. It's a whole different way of doing things. And you know, we hired people to do it because it's 
I can't, you can't do everything. You got you have, if you want to be a successful business, you have to surround yourself with good professionals. You have a specialty product uh, for entrepreneurs listening. How do you sort of uh, make that social media content engaging? What do you what do you tell your social media people to to post on Facebook? Say? Well, per, we post a lot of pictures. We post a lot of videos. We have our own YouTube channel, which has some tremendous videos. Uh, some are hysterical. Some are informational. Some are just unbelievable. So we use that. We use pictures. We use every, testimonials from other clients. Um, we use all of that on our social media on a daily basis. A picture of videos certainly says a thousand words. Yep. When you first started this business, and I'm going to, again, switch gears, you, are you a planner? Like, how much did business plan play into into your, when you first started, and your kind of day-to-day or year-to-year business life? When I started, when we first started this, we I made a business plan. It was a five-year business plan. Within that five-year business plan, I broke it down to quarterly, monthly, weekly, and daily plans, which is a little excessive at times, but I knew where I was going every single day. And when that five-year expired, well, I made another five-year, and I've been doing that for 16 years. And every day, I update my sales. I know exactly where I am. I know exactly how much money. Everything that's going on, I know on a daily basis. If I, If you need to change something, if you wait three months, it's too late. If you can, I can change things on a dime based on what, what's going on in the marketplace. You know, if you have a construction strike that's going on now, well, that slows business down. So you got to look at other avenues and you got to do it quickly. No question. Are you, do you use a software? You're on Excel? I use Excel. It's simple. And do you change it? I know you change it for specific events, like perhaps a strike, but how often do you really update it or change it? Every year, at least once a year. And I looked at my forecast, either downgrade them, upgrade them, keep them the same, see where I've been successful the year before. Has it been more on this one or on this category, on this category, and adjust? It's the only way you can know where you're going. When you're looking ahead, do you rely more on what your customers tell you, what your franchisors tell you, what your franchisees tell you, what your your own internal team tell you, all of the above? All of the above. Even the Tweety Bird that comes down from the sky. You take information from anywhere that you can get it, take what's useful to you, and that's what you have to use. Do you ever have? Do you have formal meetings and and formal gatherings or focus groups or or is it really just keeping your eyes and ears open? Well, formal meetings. We have several meetings on an annual basis with the franchises. So we have a Quebec meeting, we have a national meeting, we have an international meeting. International meeting is every two years, and the Quebec and national meetings are every year. Uh, within that, within our own franchise, we have. I mean, we meet almost daily on, will there be 15 minutes or five minutes, but we understand what's going on. We discuss our schedules. We discuss everything that's going on on that day. Communication, no doubt huge when you're running any type of business, uh, certainly when you're dealing with both franchisors and franchisees, because you got to have everybody on the same page. And if you want to do business in the U.S., so we'll chat with Ernie Furt next. He'll uh, talk about taxes and all uh, related issues. That is coming up next. For professional advice with a personal touch, consult F.L. Fuller Landau, chartered professional accountants and business advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. Inspiring stories from outstanding business people, Dan Delmar and F.L.'s Josh Miller with you. We're joined by Bruce Conkey of Linex Quebec. We'll have Bruce's one piece of advice for today's entrepreneur coming up shortly. But first, we welcome back our tax expert, Ernie Furt from F.L. to talk about what to know, uh, what you need to know to do business in the States. Welcome back, Ernie. Thank you. Good to be here. 
and you know we were talking with Bruce earlier, and the fran- his his franchisor comes from the state, so naturally there's a whole bunch of issues that could come up to play. Not necessarily franchisor, but if really if you're a Canadian company and you're you're doing business, whether you're you know it's a strategic uh, a strategic arrangement with them, whether it's a supplier, a vendor, a, 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 an employee, a consultant. There's so many different aspects to know, to take care of, to follow. It's a bit of a minefield. So uh, I guess I guess from a and we can maybe break down a little bit, Ernie. If you're simply just selling into the states, uh, you're a Canadian company. You have no real location there, whatever that means. We won't. We don't have to get into permanent establishment. That's a crazy topic to begin with. But if you're just selling into the states, are there requirements? Uh, should the entrepreneur know and understand certain aspects? The entrepreneur has to know a lot of things. He has to know if there's any sales tax with respect to his product. And sales tax varies from state to state. Unlike here, each sales tax is a state-oriented sales tax, and it works differently than a than a GST QST. It works more like the the old Quebec PST that we had pre ninety two. Uh, so at the, what that is is the end user pays. So they have to know the sales tax implications. They have to know if they have to file any income tax returns or franchise tax returns in those locations. And generally what we file for a lot of our clients when they do business in the States and they, they, we file uh, a U.S. tax return, which basically says, hello, U.S., we're doing business in the U.S. However, we don't have a permanent establishment in the United States. We're not subject to tax, but we're just telling you we're doing business here, and this is how much sales we're making. What if you have a showroom in the States? You're not it, really, it you varies. Know. <laughs> it varies state per state because none of the rules follow each other. And you, you go you go to showrooms, you have trade shows in various jurisdictions. If you have a trade show in New York and you go to the same trade show every year, you're going to be considered to have nexus in the state of New York. You know, uh, other states are different. Certain states don't have any state taxes. Other states do. Other states have franchise tax nexus, income tax nexus. It, it varies, and it, it, it's so difficult. It's a big minefield, and you really have to look towards the professional down there and have somebody up here coordinate with that professional down in the U.S. so you can get a full-blown picture. Because even if you don't have any tax to pay but there's forms to file, you could still be on the hook for certain penalties. Well, we have a client who has a sales, an independent salesperson in the state of Pennsylvania. And they have to prepare a full-blown Pennsylvania state return that probably costs them $1,500 or, or $2,000 to do to pay $12 in tax. Honestly, $12 in tax, if not less. So you know, But the, if you don't file it... Then you have penalties. And the penalties are usually very ugly. So the United States and the states rely a lot on the penalties and they rely a lot on your compliance and, and, and you're following the rules. And if you don't, that's when you can run into problems. If an entrepreneur just wants to dip their toe into to a, a jurisdiction like that might be more problematic, do you advise them to sort of not go there until they reach a certain amount of business? So you want to increase your business. You want to get business from wherever you can. So you take a look and you determine where you want to wet those toes and how difficult it is to wet those toes and what type of you know volume are you going to be doing potentially within that state? A lot of entrepreneurs will go to New York State. They'll go to California because that's where the business is. You know, I, there are not too many of my clients that have call, called me up and said, listen, I want to do business in Utah. 
Not too many. Um, but there are clients who do business in Utah. And I think, Dan, it also depends on when you talk about volume, well, then what's the structure? And are you going to need a real office down there or not? I think there's a lot of factors that come into play when you're talking about volume and, and structure and, and not necessarily just about taxes. But, uh, Ernie, you, you raise a point on the human resource side and, and, and <coughs> dealing and dealing with, with different states and, and paying people. When we come back from the break, we'll try and explore that quickly. Plus, we'll have Bruce's one piece of advice for today's entrepreneur. That's next. For professional advice with a personal touch, consult F.L. Fuller Landau, chartered professional accountants and business advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. Bruce Conkey on the way with his one piece of advice for today's entrepreneur, but first chatting with Ernie Furt about uh, things you need to know before doing business in the States. And Ernie... There are many companies that hire, like you said earlier, that hire people that work out of the States, uh, whether it's a company, it's an individual, depends where they work. What, what are some of the things entrepreneurs should know before or if they're going to hire somebody that's working in the States? Well, if they're, if they're hiring somebody that's working in the States, you have to determine what do they create. Are they creating a filing presence for you or not in the, in the States? Or vice versa, a U.S. company can hire a Canadian. And the Canadian person can work from their house and and work for that U.S. company and do the work from, from you know, from, from the comforts of their living room uh, in, in all of their glory and underwear sitting there. And, you know, people ask, well, do I have anything to file? Because the, the U.S. people always look to complete a form. They always look to complete something so they don't have to be on the hook for any withholding. So they'll ask you to fill out something called a W-8 Ben E., uh, and that's done for a variety of things, inclusive of personal services. So if you're sitting at home here in Montreal working for a U.S. company as an independent, you're not going to have any withholding, but you have to fill out the form. And a lot of people mistakenly think that that form goes to the IRS. It does not. It just goes to the employer in case the IRS asks. So just fill out the forms, consult your accountant, and ensure you do things right. Sounds like a plan. Thanks very much, Ernie. And as we approach the last moment of our show, we'll turn to Bruce Conkey of Line X Quebec and ask you, Bruce, what would be your one piece of advice for today's well, entrepreneur? I'm, I'm going to give you a part A, part B. The most important thing is to know your business. Know where you're going, know which direction it's going, and take care of it. But treat your client. Your client does everything. If you, have, if you don't treat your client properly, you're not going to have any and you won't have a business. Excellent. Thanks very much, Bruce. Uh, the quick takeaway, and we kind of glossed over it quickly, but Bruce did mention it, and he said, you know, you can't know everything. You do have to rely on outside people, professionals, team, whatever it is, because you just can't know everything. So know what you don't know, and you'll be better off for it. Thanks very much, Bruce of Linex Quebec, uh, for stopping by. We appreciate the visit. Thank you very much for having me. And thanks to Ernie Furt as well. We're back for our season finale next week, next Monday night at 7. Uh, stay tuned for that. Don't forget to catch up on past episodes uh, at the community section at flmontreal.com. Have a good evening.